This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Get your questions ready for our pharmacist from the Ontario Pharmacists Association who will be in at 1230. We'll be focusing today on skin conditions. But as always, any any medical or pharmacy related questions are welcome. Let me give you the numbers before we get into our lead topic. 416-360-0740 or 1-866-744-740. Your calls welcome all our as always. Because Elizabeth Wetlaufer has pleaded guilty to killing eight seniors in nursing homes, there is concern that the answers on what happened won't ever come out. Progressive Conservative MPP Ernie Hardiman has written an open letter to Liberal Health Minister Dr. Eric Hoskins demanding a public inquiry into a number of issues around the former nurse and the patient she killed and how she killed them. Ernie Hardiman is on the line with us right now to offer his perspective. Thanks for joining us. Good to be here, Jane. Thanks for calling. Ernie, tell us about what you wrote in your public letter to Dr. Hoskins. Well, I I think we wrote asking for uh, the government to... uh, and to research and find out um, what what actually happened, we have to understand that the uh, uh, what law for killed eight people and then pleaded guilty, so there'll be no trial. In the normal cases, we would find the trial would would look into what happened and how it happened and why, and and everybody would be cross-examined and so forth to um, to make sure this didn't happen again. Because of her guilty plea. Um, uh, I was concerned that, in fact, we would find out no more. We know she did it. We just don't know um, what we as government or uh, oversight in the system could have done to stop it from happening and to make sure it doesn't happen again. And the only way that we can find out this information, other than from investigative newspaper reports, is if there is a public inquiry, yes? Yes. Well, it's, uh, I, I think it's, um, there's a difference between a public inquiry and, and um, what I'm asking for in this letter, which is just for a minister inquiry so he can address those things that um, the, his ministry would be responsible for, such as the notification to the nurses' uh, uh, College of Nurses, that she had been dismissed from a uh, nursing home because of putting a patient at risk uh, in distributing medicine, and nothing was ever done with that right. after that. So right. I think what we're looking for is um, a um, an oversight uh, report mm-hmm. on what government has done and what they're going to do to make sure this doesn't happen again. Um, Having said that, if it if he doesn't uh, come up with answers and has is just going to say, well, um, you know, we've caught the uh, uh, the criminal, so we're not going to find out what went wrong, uh, then obviously we would be uh, having to look at an, a public inquiry that would uh, rehash the whole thing and uh, and try and find out what government, what responsibility government would have in it. 
Now, to be fair to Dr. Hoskins, the health minister, he has said that he's open to investigating this further, but he's waiting on Wetlaufer's sentencing, which is scheduled for June 26th and 27th. Um, are you receiving any other indication that he wouldn't follow through on that promise? No, I um, I haven't heard anything from the doctor, but I, I'm, I'm really concerned because the the case is over. Uh, to say we have to wait for sentencing doesn't make any sense. There is no chance of of um, um, the minister replying to us what he is doing and what he knows needs to be done um, before a sentencing. Um, how could that possibly um, imp- impact a judge making a sentence on a, pl- a guilty plea? Um, the reason I haven't asked for it a long time ago was for that very reason. The case was before the court. Mm-hmm. But when um, we went through quite a, um, what shall we say, a, a demonstration here when uh, when um, uh, Wadlaufer came in to plead guilty, that's the end of the case. And so uh, from here on, it's just a sentencing which has nothing to do with evidence and nothing to do with um, 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 shifting blame or any anything anymore. It's strictly now how much she's going to have to pay for the crime she committed. And so I see no reason why the minister couldn't make that decision of the inquiry today and get on with it. I think the um, the families, I've met with a number of, uh, of the surviving families and and uh, the families are actually awaiting for something more to be done. Well, and I, and I want to ask you specifics about that, and I also want to put it out to you, the Zoomer radio listener. What do you think should be done? I mean, Wetlaufer's behavior was flagged in some form. Uh, that's why she was fired in March of 2014, citing a life-threatening medication error from Woodstock's Crescent Care Nursing Home, and yet it's mystifying that her record was not blemished by the College of Nurses of Ontario, and she continued to to work as a nurse who killed more patients. What should be done so that this doesn't happen in the future? And what about this College of Nurses of Ontario? What do you think about its role as a public safety advocacy organization? Um, there is some criticism that the College of Nurses of Ontario is more worried about the privacy of nurses than it is about the safety of Ontarians. 416-360-0740. Or toll Free one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. Ernie Hardiman, PC MPP. Uh, tell us what the families are saying. I know many of them are your constituents. Well, and, and I, exactly. I met with a number of them this morning, and um, it, it's very important, as you mentioned. Um, the the uh, information that we have received now says that for um, um, thirty months. After before that, um, the last killing. In fact, the College of Nurses was notified of why she had been dismissed from uh, Crescent Care, and so um, the Minister of Health is responsible, appoints the College of Nurses, and is responsible for the uh, the oversight of that organization. Now, suggestions that somehow it's an arm's length and the minister has um, no impact on that, I think is uh, uh, is not accurate, it seems to me that um, it may have to be legislatively done. And I believe he has made some changes legislatively in the, uh, in the Patients First Act. Uh, having said that, um, we need to know, the families need to know, and the community needs to know um, how much authority they had that they didn't utilize, or were they restricted from y- using it because of um, the privacy for the, uh, the nurses involved? And if that's the case, 
what are we going to do to fix it? Um, I think it's not good enough to say, well, that's the way it's always been and that's the way it's supposed to be and it was for privacy of the nurses. It doesn't help the families that uh, that lost their, their family members uh, because this happened. No, there's, there's definitely a disconnect here in some form or another. Let's go to Sam in Brantford. Hi, Sam. You're on Zoomer Radio. Yes, Fight how back. you doing? Uh, good afternoon. Uh, here's the problem I'm having. The Privacy Act should not have any authority over the record of an employee, whether he or she was fired. It should be open to scrutiny, just like if you were looking at a record of a used vehicle, you get the complete description of the vehicle, the kilometers, and so on. Why is this individual or any individual covered by the Privacy Act? No, and if an employee the, yeah. of a bank mm-hmm. is, is uh, stealing money from the bank, and they find out and that person is fired, do you really understand that the Privacy Act should protect this individual and they cannot, you know, cannot disclose that they were fired because they took money from a bank? Uh, yeah, I'll let Ernie Hardiman weigh in on, the, on your comment, Sam, and thanks for calling in. Well, I, I think that, that that's a very, a very good comment, and, and I don't think that should be protected. But in the present structure, the employer um, um, dismisses the the um, the individual because of uh, not only once but repeated um, challenges with how they administer medication then they must report that to the College of Nurses that they have done that and I think that's where uh, my question comes in and I think my community's question 30 months later or during the 30 the next 30 months she applied for a number of jobs and received them doing exactly the same thing with no blemish on her nursing record that should in my opinion have been recorded if as the story in the uh, in the Toronto Star said it had been reported to the College of Nurses how come it wasn't available so she would not be hired to do the same thing down the road Right. I mean, the termination letter, as you say, which is uh, reported in the Toronto Star, says in March of 2014, you have an extensive disciplinary record for medication-related errors, which includes numerous warnings, as well as one, three, and five-day suspensions. It's baffling that she went on to practice as, as a nurse who had has an exemplary record. Exactly. It seems that after the um, complaint or the, the dismissal went to the College of Nurses, it didn't seem to go any further to uh, put it on and against her record. So the demerit points, if you want to relate it to a driver's license, the demerit points were not taken off the license. So she was had a, a clean abstract when she would apply for the next job, as it appears. And uh, I just find that hard to comprehend how we could have a system like that. So I think the important thing today is not to... Uh, to deal with that, I want to know from the minister, mm-hmm. if that's what happened, what have we done to fix it so that can't happen again? No, and that's an excellent question. And I, I feel certain that Dr. Hoskins wants to find that out as well. This doesn't seem like something that he would close his mind to or, or not want to investigate further. I mean, that doesn't even make sense because all of us as members of the public who have people that we love, elderly people in particular in long-term care homes, we want to make sure that a, a nurse is flagged for, for abuse of a patient or, or potential, in this case, potentially um, attempted murder. 
uh, it just it doesn't it doesn't even make sense that that we wouldn't have access to that information or that the next uh, private nursing home wouldn't have access to that information when when they're hiring. Yes, I, I think this this is uh, obviously with eight people um, uh, murdered. It, it's it's a big issue, but with all um, we want to grant or find assurances for the people that are living in the nursing homes that they are being cared for, and that the government oversight uh, is in fact there to to make sure if there are challenges in the system that they are not only reported but then are addressed. Um, expediently by the ministry or by who, whatever body has been given the responsibility. So if, if um, uh, there's only one nurse dispensing uh, medication in a nursing home, and they are the total oversight of that, so uh, any discrepancies are not reported to, to someone else, we have a problem. And, and uh, so I think um, I would agree with you, Jane, that the minister would want answers to this, uh, but uh, sometimes if uh, if you don't put pressure on governments mm-hmm. when the um, when the sentencing has been done and everybody has gone home uh, people seem to forget that mm-hmm. Uh, what if it happened again? I don't want to be on the phone then saying, well, we talked about this uh, two years ago, and here we are again. Um, uh, I want to know that uh, at least the, the one thing that came out of this, that we found shortcomings in the system, and we immediately address those, so this could never happen again. Your comments, your recommendations, you may have some ideas as well about what should be done. 416-360-0740 or one 740 The Fight Back team uh, here, Ernie, has reached out to the college uh, of Nurses of Ontario. They are not commenting, but they they did issue a statement on June 6th saying that the CNO recognizes and appreciates the public's desire for more information in this exceptional situation. This is why we recently asked for changes to the confidentiality, confidentiality requirements in the Regulated Health Professions Act. Now that the police investigation is complete and court proceedings are moving forward quickly, CNO has accelerated its own investigation in to Ms. Wetlaufer's professional conduct. So if they are asking for changes of their own organization, this would have to be something that the government would entertain. I, I, would, I would surely hope so, and I think they will. Um, I, I guess my, my concern is that, um, that we make sure that we know that the changes they're asking for are the ones that would have prevented things like this happening mm-hmm. um, uh, and um, so we need not just them asking for the information or the changes mm-hmm. we need to make sure that we have looked at what the problem was why it was it wasn't reported was it because they it was a privacy why would they not be able to um, if there was a complaint came in about their inability to fulfill the requirements of their license why couldn't they just add that to the license the public doesn't see those licenses until Someone else calls them and asks for verification whether they have all the points, uh, whether they have a license in good standing. So um, maybe more needs to be changed, but I want to make sure that the minister looks into it that, to find out whether the changes required for the, to meet the needs of the, of the survivors here in Oxford, 
whether the changes being made are going to deal with that, or we're just looking at to say, well, yes, it's uh, it hasn't been reviewed for a number of years. Maybe we should make some of these changes. I'm discussing with PCMPP Ernie Hardiman here on Zoomer Radio uh, the Elizabeth Wetlawer case, the fact that she's pleaded guilty, as we know, to killing eight seniors in nursing homes in her care, and the fact that there will be no trial. So Ernie is concerned that the answers on what happened won't ever come out as a result. I want to bring into the conversation now Jane Medus, staff lawyer at Toronto's Advocacy Centre for the Elderly Legal Clinic. Jane, uh, what Ernie Hardiman is saying, is that is that, that much the same uh, as what your your organization is looking for from the government? Well, we're actually looking for a public inquiry. We don't think that the uh, minister uh, or a ministry review is sufficient. We really need to look at the heart of the matter. What Because this is a very vulnerable population. So we really need to look at more than the college, more than, you know, some little bits. We need to look at the whole system uh, to protect um, people who cannot speak for themselves and, and for many people who may not have advocates in the system who can speak for themselves. Ernie, would you would you be adverse to a full public inquiry? No, I I, um, I don't disagree with the with the comments. I I, I would just point out that um, I think what's important is that we get answers on on the plain ordinate the, the common questions that my constituents ask and the ones that I'm asking is how come that it wasn't reported? Um, I think those type of answers. Um, I think we could get without having the, um, what shall we say, the length and the extent of a full public inquiry. I think some of those answers we need to address problems that the minister could identify if he just asked the staff in the ministry and in, in, the, uh, in the whole process. Um, if if the, it becomes questionable about whether the changes that's being recommended by the college is in fact going to work, it may very well require a public inquiry. But we want to make sure that we, as quickly as possible, we put things in place to cover that which we can see to make sure that the, uh, uh, what shall we say, the hemorrhaging of the, the bleeding stops, even though we may have to operate further uh, to solve all the problems in the system. We want to make sure that um, what we're talking about here in the Wetlaufer case isn't presently under our feet happening right now somewhere else. Jane, when we come back here in just a moment, I want to ask you why the college did not suspend her license, place her under supervision, ban her from administering medication until she retrained. I want to ask you about that. Uh, This is certainly your area of expertise, and I'm curious to know the answer to that. And your calls as well, comments, questions, and get in line as well for our pharmacists at the Ontario Pharmacists Association at 1230, when we'll focus on skin conditions, but of course as always, we will take any of your medical or pharmacy-related questions. 416-360-0740-1866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host... Jane Brown. As we continue our discussion, I want to ask Jane Medus at Toronto's Advocacy Centre for the Elderly, a staff lawyer with that organization, why did the College of Nurses of Ontario not suspend Elizabeth Wetlaufer's license, place her under supervision, put some sort of ban on her from administering medication when she was fired in March of 2014? 
So as I understand, um, the system at the time, under the legislation, there wasn't that ability to do that kind of interim suspension. Um, you know, it goes back to due process and, you know, allegations can be made but not yet proven. Um, the problem, we actually have had changes to the legislation, so that is now in place as of uh, very recently. So there have been some of those changes that the college was talking about. Those actually have been put into legislation, so we'll see how that works. But the bigger problem is, is that um, they didn't investigate, or we don't think they did. Um, it, you know, it was a very long period of time, and so until, even under this present system, I think that they're going to still have to investigate, um, at least somewhat. And the problem in the past has been these investigations take way too long. Um, so that is a huge problem. Uh, they actually do have the ability, luckily now, to do that interim suspension. Um, but prior to recently, that just wasn't one of the things that they had in the legislation. Okay, well, at least that's some good news. Let's go to Betty in Kenilworth. Hi, Betty. You're on Zoomer Radio. Go ahead. Hi. I just wanted to make comments. Um, I, I know what's been going on and certainly following it. My mother was in an institution in, uh, in, in the Toronto area, greater Toronto area, and we had issues with them. And I, am my, I was my mother's advocate and my brother, her power of attorney, and we were trying to get my mother moved because my mom was afraid to be there. What ended up happening was they kept on saying to my brother, a move at my mother's age would kill her. And um, so my brother decided to keep my mother at this institution. Long story short, my mother died after I had been there and called an ambulance to have her taken to a hospital. My mother actually died of starvation and neglect. Oh, my goodness. Neglect because she had a decubitus ulcer on her sacrum the size of two hands, fully extended, hands on hands, and cubitus ulcers are only neglect in the tube. Um, I have every document, every file, and would love to give it to somebody. I did contact the Ministry of Long-Term Care. They launched an investigation. We had 17 points, and a year after my mom passed away, they finally contacted us and said, we'd like to do a bit of an investigation. It's been very painful for the family. Um, I've asked her to look into it. My brother, who's power of attorney, will not proceed with it because it's so uncomfortable. And uh, what she did determine, and take a deep breath, yeah. uh, was that every one of those things were valid. Yeah, I thank you for your call, Betty. Uh, yeah, and I know how difficult it must be for you to um, review that horrible situation involving your mom. We're I'd like, yeah, Jane, I, I'd like to say that you know this is exactly the, the one of the problems with the system, right? Is that something like this? Um, you know, where was the coroner in all of this? Mm -hmm. And and you know, this goes into back to the Wetlawer cases that the coroner, the home self-report to the coroner. Um, she doesn't, Betty doesn't mention whether or not the coroner was involved or not. Um, and it, he or she may well have been if the family complained, although they may not have known to complain. The home is unlikely to be reporting this to the coroner. And if you have no advocate, if you are a 
person in a home who doesn't have family that's close or anything, those deaths are not being investigated because the home is the one that has to report it. And that's why we need a public inquiry because it's more than the college. It's the ministry. What are they doing? What is the coroner doing? What is the nursing home doing? What are the other homes who are looking for staff, for example? Yes, the information at the college may have been private, but you you know, normally you do a check with mm-hmm. your previous employer. What happened there? Right. Well, that's a good place to leave it. We'll discuss it again. Thanks, Jane. It's always nice to have you on the show. Thank you very much, Jane. Jane Metis of the Toronto Advocacy Centre for the Elderly. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.